welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm your favorite host, Charles Sheeland. And I'm your even more favorite host, Asia Bonilla, and we're back again, and today we're starting something new. This, I guess, is a me pick because I started this series but never really got into it and didn't finish it. And then a listener reached out to us and recommended this series, so we're finally reading it for the show. And we are going to be starting the Match Trilogy today by Ali Condi, and we covered the first half of the first book this week. For anybody who is new to our podcast, we are a show with the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends and we read and reread YA literature from our adolescence and share books with each other, generally alternating between a series that one of us has read and the other hasn't. And I definitely remember these books when I was in late middle school, early high school. Like the book covers are kind of iconic, I think. I remember seeing them and I remember being like, oh, I'll read this. And then I never did. But you had read them, right? So I read part of the first book. I don't know to where I got to. I think we read the first half. I think I got a little farther than that because I didn't really get to a point where I didn't remember anything at all. But I'm pretty sure I did not finish the first book, which I'll, when we go through our first impressions, I'll kind of explain why I think I stopped reading it because that's super unlike me. But before we dive into the plot summary and everything, as we always do, we're going to do a little intro just for the series in general. So Ali Condi, the author, had written multiple novels, including a series before writing Matched, but the Matched trilogy really launched her into worldwide fame. And the three books, Matched, Crossed, and Reached, were published consecutively each November in 2010, 2011, and 2012. And in an interview in 2010 with CrackingTheCover.com, Condi discussed the creating of Matched, and the idea of this dystopian romance came from a combination of experiences, including chaperoning a high school prom when she used to be a teacher, and a discussion she had with her husband about defining marriage. And her husband is an economist, and he said, what if we could write the perfect algorithm to line people up like matchmaking and then it have and then have it be controlled by the government. So it's basically like kind of how she came up with like the basis of the idea where was this question and then her experiences with high schoolers. And it only took her about a year to write the first book matched. And in its first week on sale, the novel debuted in the number two children's slot on the American Booksellers Association's indie bestseller list and subsequently was published in 34 countries, appeared on more than 20 state award lists and reached a worldwide imprint tally of more than 5 million copies. So this series really, really did blow up. And her novel has been compared to The Hunger Games it came out a little bit after, and but she did, Allie admitted that she couldn't write action like Suzanne Collins, and according to Condé, she was more influenced by older, older dystopian fiction, such as 1984 by George Orwell, and I would say based on what we've read so far that it more reminded me of The Giver that we've already covered here on the show because there's, and I'm also just assuming 
from things I read, there's going to be less violence and it's more focused on like poetry and stuff. So I feel like it's a better comparison to The Giver. And then as far as a film adaptation, the film rights were sold to Disney in 2010 when the first book was published. But Condi said in an interview from 2016 that they got as far as writing the screenplay, but it pretty much died after that. Disney did renew its option a second time, but has since let it lapse. And obviously now we are in 2022 and there's basically no news. So this may never get made into a movie or TV show. But, you know, never say never. It could one day show up on, I guess, like Disney Plus or something. But as of now, there is no, nothing in the works, it seems, for any sort of film adaptation. But with yeah, that, I, oh, were you going to say something? I was just going to respond to your intro. I agree that it's definitely giving more Giver 1984 vibes than, so I think that's totally true. And I don't think it would be, personally, so far of what I've read, I don't think it will be made into a film. I don't think that it has commercial appeal for what 2022 commercial audiences are looking for in films. Yeah, I don't think anymore, too. I I don't think... I think it's too late for the people who would have been the right generation to, like, have nostalgia about it and want to see it as a movie. Like... Because we would have been the people who would have read it growing up. But now, you made it, you'd be like, oh, that's a little late, you know? Um, I don't know, because just like how we covered, we just covered Looking for Alaska and how that was very recently just made into a series. I just, I don't know if it could be made into movies necessarily, but I feel like it could be made for movies like on a streaming service or a series or something, I feel like. But I would say more so... I guess also, like, I don't think... I was going to say more so. I understand what you're saying, though, in the sense of... I think that the idea of, like, dystopian stuff, I feel like, is kind of past. Like, we're not really in that era anymore. Well, also, like, dystopian just rom-com is, like... I don't think that that's something that people are particularly interested in. Like, I think this movie would look very similar to the Giver movie, which was okay. And then it would just have, like, this sort of very traditional, like, passe heteronormative love triangle. Like, I don't think that that is something that producers want to be making. Yeah, I can agree with that. Also, I don't think it, I mean, I it was super popular, but I don't think it has, like, the cult following that, like, Percy Jackson. I mean, granted, those first, the movies they made for the original Percy Jackson were so bad that, of course, Disney Plus was like, that's an opening that they have to make their new series. But, like, this was not on the level of, like, Percy Jackson, you know? No, I don't think so, because, again, it seems like there's not going to be, or based on reviews, it seems like it's not going to be as action-packed yeah. as, like, a lot of the other dystopian series that we, or just other series in general that we've covered that did get turned into movies. Yeah, I mean, you know, we ragged on the ending of The Maze Runner, but at least, like, there was a lot going on in all the books. It was a little chaotic, but, like, you could see why they made them into movies. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, I was agreeing with your analysis, with your background, but I think that I don't, I don't see this being something that like a producer is going to walk into a pitch meeting and be like, you know what we should do? Turn <laughs> the 2010 love triangle that takes place in the giver world into a movie. I think they want to wade into Black Ariel controversy instead. <laughs> 
Well, let's get back into the story, and I think it's time for Charles to give us our plot summary for the week. Yes. So, Cassia Reyes is a 17-year-old, and she, the book starts with her matching ceremony. So, she is told that she's going to be matched with her best friend, Xander. They live in this idyllic, post-apocalyptic-ish utopian society that's called the Society that has created essentially a perfect order. And part of that order is having your perfect partner picked for you. Ooh, it's a little tongue twister. And they're assigned to you. And following her matching assignment, her matching card actually flashes and shows her a different face, the face of her friend Kai, as well as Xander's face. So now she's going to start trying to decide which boy is right for her. At the same time, her grandfather passes away, except that actually he's euthanized by the society on his 80th birthday. And some of his final actions lead her and her father to start stirring rebellion within Kasha. So we're kind of just building a lot of tension. My impression was that I really like this, as in I wanted to keep reading. I didn't want to stop. It's not something that I feel like I'm going to finish and be like, I need to start over again. But Do you really feel that way about anything? I feel like when I finish The Hunger Games, I mean, I need a little time to process, but, like, I could read The Hunger Games again, you know? I could read Twilight again. I guess, yeah, that's how I feel about... Yeah, I guess I get what you're saying. I mean... I mean, again... Twilight, Hunger Games, I feel like those are books, not in a row, but, yeah, those... I mean, like I said, the Twilight read is coming up. It's time. (laughs) You're going to have to read it. Like, I'm not saying that I'm... I might feel differently down the line, but, like, so far, I'm, like... Well, it is only the first half of the first book, so maybe it's a little too early to judge on that. Though I will say this book is a meme. I've definitely seen this meme. It comes up in my feed like once every three months. I'm sure if you're a listener of this podcast, it's come up in your feed on Instagram where it's like every young adult book ever. And it's like the girl must choose between two completely opposite boys. And then it's a photo of one guy and he's like pale He's, like, Caucasian, pale, with, like, blue eyes and very dark hair. And then, like, the same face, just, like, with a slightly more tan skin tone and, like, beachy blonde hair. But it's, like, essentially the exact same guy. And I'm, like, that is literally the premise of this book, is that, like, she must choose between two equally attractive options. And what a difficult decision. Anyway, the whole time I was, like, this book is that meme. But... Anyway, I'm enjoying it, but that's it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, definitely. For me, for my impression, I first just have to go (laughs) start off right off the bat with Kasha. I don't like her name. I that to me is not a great main character name, but you know, teach their own. That's just my opinion. (laughs) But otherwise, I am also enjoying it now. But I will say, as soon as like the drama with Kai, like, she sees him on the matching card. I kind of started to remember the reason why I'm pretty sure I didn't finish this series, let alone the book, which was because I think, I don't really remember. I I think I tried to read this at, like, some point in high school, and I definitely, like, already would have read Twilight, Hunger Games, even started The Maze Runner. Like, I'd read all those books. And I think for me... At that point in my life, I was definitely really over the love triangle thing 
because as our normal regular listeners know I am a hopeless romantic and like the love triangle thing is like to me not actually very romantic it's like Charles said it's kind of an overused meme just kind of dumb like so I feel like a turnoff for me in this book was the love triangle like on a huge point which I do remember that was why at the time I was really drawn to Divergent because there is no love triangle in that story but we all know how that ended. There's no love triangle. I mean, it's a love point because they kill off the main character. And he's alone. There's no love line. There's just a love point because he's alone. Okay, you cannot spoil the book. People might not have read it and this is not the Divergent episode. That is not a spoiler. Those books have been out for a decade. Okay. Well, you can uh, cancel Charles if you felt that that was a terrible spoiler. Every every but, week we rip Divergent a new one on this podcast when we're not even covering it. If people think that I'm going to... That is true. Anyway, sorry. It's still not as bad as Inkheart. Still not as bad not as Inkheart. Right that now. one is so bad, I can't even start. Anyway, though, but overall my impression now since it has like been a while, even since we've covered a love triangle on the show or even a dystopian novel, I'm much more interested. Like I was actually really excited to read this series because, you know, we did like a whole dystopian unit like, what was that, like a year ago now? I think it was more like eight months ago, but yes, it went a while. We did it for a while, so. Close enough. But, so it's been a while, also a dystopian novel, like, with a love triangle. It's been, like, a while. Like, it's probably just, like, The Hunger Games. Yeah. Because right? I guess, like, The Hunger Games has a love triangle, like, Twilight, like. Well, I will so die anyway, on the hill that I'm Twilight just, doesn't have a love triangle. Twilight just has an abusive friend who truly gaslights his friend into thinking that she might have feelings for him. I don't know. I think those... Team Edward, Team Jacob merch would uh, say otherwise about <laughs> the status of the love triangle. I'm saying if you consult the text, if you consult the text, she never has feelings for Jacob until Jacob tells her that she should have feelings for him and then bullies her. Okay. We need to focus. We need to get back into this story, Match. So I think it's time to dive into the plot. I agree. Okay. So we're in a society which is post-cultural utopian it's very much like the original society in the giver so don't think about all the sequels to the giver just the giver it's kind of like that like you have your job that's assigned to you based on your skills and you have your partner that's assigned to you based on who you would be compatible with and everything is given to you like all your meals and stuff like that like it's very much like the giver world But we start the plot very much like Divergent. If you remember in Divergent, it starts with them choosing their faction. In this, Kasha is going to her matching banquet. So it's a ceremony where the society announces who her perfect match life partner is. And she's on her way with her best friend and neighbor, Xander. Yep. I think that's interesting how you pointed out for Divergent. Divergent, like the story kind of starts with them getting this they're making a huge choice like that's going to affect their life where as in this society and similarly with the giver, like there is no choice basically. Like you have very few choices in your life. Pretty much everything is controlled and decided for you. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess it felt more like it felt similar to the giver because it starts with like literally going to the ceremony. A ceremony. Yeah. But you're right. It's more of a parallel to the giver. Like when they have their promotion ceremony and at the giver, Assign, like, that's when Jonas gets yeah, the Yeah, it's actually, it assignment. is more similar to that. It's like that. I forgot about that. Anyway, 
So very utopian. They keep saying, I wish you optimal results. That's like definitely like, okay, we're in this sterile world. And we find out pretty early on that in the society, the adults carry three emergency pills, a green one, a blue one, and a red one, which are also those little balls on the cover of the books that Kasha is standing in and then breaks out of. And Kasha carries hers in her artifact, which is a compact from an ancestor. Yes, and then at her match ceremony, she finds out that her match is actually Xander, who is her best friend that she's known her whole life and is like basically her next-door neighbor, which this is not something that happens often. Usually your match comes from like another community and like you have to Skype basically like video chat with them (laughs) until you like get to eventually meet in person. Like it's really, really rare for someone to be matched like within the same community like they would already know each other and it all seems great she should be super happy it should be amazing because they're already they already know each other and he's a hottie apparently so but of course that's too easy you know we have to have some sort of conflict (laughs) to have the plot move forward for there to be a book so the next day after her matching ceremony she looks at her match card which all of the people at the matching ceremony receive this and it's about your match and it basically just like has all their information, I guess, probably like their hobbies or their favorite color or something like that. And obviously since Xander's her best friend, she pretty much knows all of the basic stuff, but she's still curious to like see if there's anything on there that she doesn't know. But when she like plugs in the thing to look at it, another face pops up, which is of a boy named Kai, which is somebody else who lives within her community and he's kind of mysterious and it's clear that, <laughs> immediately clear, that we are setting up a love triangle here because now, in kind of a world where she's presented with no choices, it's almost like him appearing on the match card has given her, like, is this another option for me? Like, is is he supposed to be my perfect match? Which, some background on Kai, he is what's considered an aberration because his father committed some sort of infraction and therefore Kai also gets this term of aberration, which seems pretty unfair that like he's being punished for something that his father did. But, you know, okay, we can clearly see that there's issues with this society. And also because Kai's father did something, he's like from, I think what they call the outer provinces and he was adopted by i think it's like his aunt and uncle which is also something that like never happens in the society so it's like he's already was like an outsider and like he comes in the community when they're like younger like maybe eight or nine or also it sounded like his aunt and uncle lost a child yes their child was murdered which also is a rarity in the society since they like control everyone Yeah, and so Kai is kind of mysterious, because he came in later, he's an aberration, so he got, like, his job way sooner than everyone else, and being an aberration, he's not put into the matching system, basically because his dad was quote-unquote defective and committed this infraction, they don't want that proclivity for infraction to be passed in the genetic gene pool. So then he can't be matched. He's not allowed to have a partner. Yes, and then... Which I agree, is stupid. Like, Well, again, it's, it's just stupid, the idea of but, that extreme, like, dystopian society of, like, trying to control everything, where it, like, takes away your free will. But at this point, like, if I remember correctly, obviously Kasha is going to become interested in Kai, 
and, you know, start to start to, like, break rules to, like, see him and are, like, be more around him because this first incident is what, like, makes her even more curious about him because she finds out all of this information about him being an aberration from one of the officials when they, like, try to explain why, like, it was a mistake, like, somebody might have put it on there, like, as a prank because he can't have a match, which is, like, a very weird explanation and was suspicious. Yeah, that was a bad explanation. But yes, she's and she's interested at first because she thinks that maybe he is a potential match. Like, And she starts being interested also because he's attractive and compelling. And she's a teenage girl, and it's completely natural to explore your options. And like you said, in a world where you didn't have a choice, all of a sudden she has the best safe option ever. But now, of course, she's going to be like, maybe I have an extra option, which is also great. And we should mention, like you said, so there are these people that are singles. They just stay alone. They're aberrations who aren't given the choice and anomalies. And they are basically the social rejects and they're punished for bad behavior. So And they are removed. We'll see if they're those... removed from society. So it's basically like those are like the people who would be like in jail or in prison. Yes. And so we start to explore a little more of the society. Like we mentioned, they have these three pills that they carry. And so far, we only know, correct me if I'm wrong, we only know what the green one does, which is the one on the cover of the first book, and it's an incredibly fast-working sedative that you can take for anxiety. Like, we don't know what the other two do, but it feels like the power of the blue and the red pill is going to be important. Did we find anything else about them so far? I can't remember. I know they. she said something about the blue one. I know for sure the red one is the one that everyone thinks is the death pill because I think they said you can only take that one if an official tells you to take it. Yes, and it's later in life. You get that. So you get the pills as you age because it's your responsibility to carry more of them. And like aberrations aren't allowed to carry pills because they can't be trusted. And the red pill is the last one that you get to like claim and adulthood. like no one knows what it does like is the understanding like people don't know what it does yes. the blue one i don't think they said what it did but it was still like like it was still like common like people don't take it all the time where like what charles said the green one is basically like anti-anxiety medication like it's a sedative it calms you down so people do take it on a regular basis i think they said you can take the green one once a week without it causing once any suspicion like because you get it refilled, basically, when you need it. And once a week for the green oh, one. Oh, it was is... once a week? Not once a day? No, once a week. Maybe it was week. once a week. I th- yeah, I think, yeah. Because once a day would be kind of a lot. <laughs> it's once a week because later when M takes hers before her matching ceremony, she takes it, like, yeah, it was just on a random day. a couple day. days before. And then she's like, oh, my goodness, yeah. I took it already. I won't be able to take it at my matching ceremony. And Cash is like, well, you don't have to do anything at the matching ceremony. You're going to get your partner assigned to you. So anyway, that's us jumping ahead a little bit. And then possibly related, and Charles kind of mentioned this before, we find out that all adults die on their 80th birthday. And, or like we said, they're getting euthanized. And we're definitely getting lots of the giver vibes here with the killing of the elderly people on their 80th birthday. Like, if you remember in the giver, I mean, they killed babies. So (laughs) that, I guess, is just like a common theme in these dystopian societies of like euthanasia to humans. And on their 80th birthday, they get to have a final banquet and they get to eat whatever they want. And it like 
really was disturbing because it just reminded me of prisoners on death row that like get to choose their final meal before they're euthanized like it's literally basically the same thing except these people committed no crimes they're just basically like you can't live anymore because you've reached the optimal age at which death should occur and yes i completely agree it was very death row and i was like they definitely kill the 80 year olds with their banquet food because you can be healthy and then die. But they were like, everyone dies at some point on their 80th birthday. And also, Kasha even says they all get the same meal. Like, the family that visits, they get the same meal as the 80-year-old. But the visitors eat from a different tray. And I'm like, they definitely kill the people with the freaking food that they picked out. Maybe, am I being too cynical? No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Especially because, like, they, it, that's, like, a huge rule that, like, you're not allowed to share food with people because you are getting like your specific tray with your specific like cal- caloric needs and like nutritional value. Yeah. And we find out that grandpa is kind of rebellious against the society. So he keeps talking about like true nature, like going outside and like really living life. And he tells Kasha to wonder. He says that like he talks about sort of using her own words, like generating new things rather than using what the society's given her. And she doesn't really understand it yet, but obviously we as readers can see that. And most importantly, he has a secret scrap of paper and they're not supposed to have stuff like this. And he tells Kasha about it and he says she won't understand it now, but she will understand it eventually. And so to explain this slip of paper, we need a little bit more context. So... In society, they have picked elements of culture to keep and use, and then they just disposed of everything else, which, right there, red flag. But <laughs> Red flag. It's just like the giver, where they give the giver all of societal memories, and everyone else doesn't have to engage with it. ignorant to everything. And so there are only 100 poems left, and people can study them and read them, but that's it. So it's only 100 poems, 100 songs, 100 artworks, like pretty much every form of art, there's, they only kept 100 pieces of that type of artwork. And the grandpa, his wife, Cash's grandma, she was on the committee of people who picked like the 100 poems. So she like basically kept one of these poems that like wasn't supposed to be kept and like hid it in the compact. So that's how the grandfather has it. But just hearing about this, I was just like a world with only like a hundred of each type of artwork just sounds like an awfully boring place to be because, you know, what would the world be if like you weren't allowed to create more art? Like it would just be so stagnant. Like we would never be moving forward or progressing as a society if we were always forced to like only learn and go over the same things. Yeah. I mean, we would be sedate. Like we would be living just to continue living, which is kind of what the society is. Like you're matched with your perfect partner because you'll make genetically healthy babies and we stop living as soon as, like, there's a chance for decline at 80. And it's just, like, in The Giver. Like, they're because they're only living to be alive. Like, they're only living to keep society alive. And, like, they don't... It's, you know, also like in The Giver, they... The society doesn't have, like, let's say... In the game where there's strong indications that, like, people are actually being sedated, like, emotionally, I don't feel like character so far. I'm not feeling like they necessarily are sedating people emotionally. Like, I don't think they're, like, 
taking away their feelings. Like in The Giver, you know, people literally don't experience pain. Also in The Giver, I was just remembering like how they called the euthanasia releasing. I feel like in The Giver, a lot of what was happening was more hidden from the like community. Whereas here, I feel like everyone knows what's happening and they're just like, it's for the best. Like Cash even says, you know, having all the elderly people die at 80, it's allowed they do that because it's allowed for them to like wipe out basically all disease so everyone pretty much gets to live a long and happy life because of everything that's happened you know i feel like they're more aware of the situation and have like accepted it obviously they don't know they don't know everything but they are aware of like more than like whereas in the giver like i remember jonas like they didn't realize that like what release meant they didn't mean that it was but they also they didn't understand what dying was because they didn't have memories they didn't have like, only Jonas takes it so personally because he starts to, like, learn about society and learn about pain and joy. And so when he finds out that they're killing people, because the dad has been killing people. Like, Jonas's dad has been euthanizing people all the time. And he, because he doesn't have feelings, because they sedate, like, their literal feelings in The Giver, he doesn't even recognize, like, the severity of it. And I feel like in this... Similarly, though, without maybe less chemical interaction, because they're just living to live, like, it's just a society to, like, keep humanity alive, they tolerate it much more. Like you just said, like, whereas if you ask people in our world, if we kill off all seniors at eight when they turn 80, and this way we can prevent them from dying a terrible, painful, long-out death in poverty, people still would not accept that because that's emotionally sterile, like... But in the society, because they're literally just living to live and they don't have access to art, they don't have access to feelings the same way we do, of course, they're they're more willing to tolerate it, which is, it's deep. It's dark. Very dark. So let's go ahead and get into the poem that was on the sheet of paper that Cash's grandpa gave her. It was... There were two poems, I think, on one side, but there's the main poem that she, like, read and, like just sparked a flame in her. I have the whole poem here if we want to read it. I I feel like Condi wanted us to look it up because we only get a couple lines of it, right? But I feel like she wanted us to read the whole poem. Like, I feel like that's the goal. Yeah, I think we should read the whole poem. I mean, it's a good poem. So it's Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. Okay, whew, haven't read a poem in a while. Um, out, out loud, at least. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. The wise men at their end know dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright. Their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage 
against the dying of the light. So for me, it's like the perfect opposite poem of the society because it's basically saying on a very first read before we do full poetry analysis, like 11th grade English class, that of course people are just like, they're angry when they die or they, they don't want to, they don't want to die on terms that are not their own. They want to have lived life to their fullest and be ready to go when their light dies eventually. And Kasha even realizes she's like, I know why the society didn't pick this one out. This one's a little rebellious. Like, what does it poem do for you? I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's literally saying to rage against the dying of the light, which the society has printed presented this situation where you should be accepting death at 80 years old, which that literally goes against human nature. Like we have an inherent need and desire for survival. So even though, yes, maybe it's extending some people's lifespan, the idea of like, well, when you turn 80, you just need to lie down and give up basically. And this poem is the exact opposite of saying of like, don't go gentle into that good night. Like, don't go out, like, so easily. Like, you should be fighting. And so, yes, it totally makes sense why they would not have included this because it literally goes against everything that they said. And it is kind of, like, I feel like the perfect poem for the situation to kind of inspire Kasha and, like, kind of have her, like, take a second look at, like, the society she's living in in the sense of, How can this, even though this brings all this good, it's essentially going against human nature, like taking away people's free will. And then dad loses grandpa's sample. So the samples are basically right before people die, they take a swab of their DNA and store it. And it's saying that eventually the society will will be so clever that they'll be able to resurrect people or at least resurrect their consciousness and that to me is a little nefarious why are you keeping people's genetic matter like that like that maybe there you want to resurrect consciousness but that to me was the first time where i was like oh the society might have evil motives like before it just kind of feels like they're just like efficient to like keep people alive but like kind of stealing people's genetic information as they die when you determine when they die is sketchy to me. I mean, what do you think they're going to... What do you I have no idea. Do you think I'm, they're not gonna like do with a, the DNA? I'm not huge in science fiction, so I don't know what you would do with it. But, like... Make clones, I guess, of people? I mean, they're kind of indicating they want to make happy clones for everyone, but, like, you would definitely make nefarious clones. I don't know. Maybe I'm... That was just the moment where I was like, ooh. No, I understand what you're saying... And especially because the officials say, when they're scolding the father, they're like, you know he was extra important. And I was like, it's probably because Grandpa, like, had, like, specific information. I don't think they were saying that he was extra important. I think they were just saying, like, the importance of, like, because you've lost it, like, now there's no chance that he can be brought back. Like, I don't know if they were, like, specifically saying that the grandfather will was, like, an important figure. I think it was just, like, they were saying, like, this is a huge mistake. Oh, really? Like, I thought that it sounded like cannot be. Grandpa was specific. Like. Oh, I didn't get that vibe. Oh, okay. Well, 
also because Grandpa's so rebellious and, like, he's kind of, like, a dissident, I was wondering if, like, maybe they're, like, we have to monitor his genetic information extra. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, that's just, that's maybe, just not... Maybe, Maybe That's I not what I got from it, but I, I have no idea. I haven't finished the book, so maybe it is that. And then, but I did write, when the father lost it, I was like, I wrote down in my notes, I was like, I bet Grandpa asked him to destroy the sample. I was like, I'm sure of it. There's no reason for him to lose it. There's no reason for him not to get rid of it. Like, not to follow it. I was like, I guarantee you. And then I was right. No, yeah. The father told Kasha that Dad, Grandpa said to lose the sample. Yes, that totally makes sense because based on, you know, Grandpa's, like, whole rebellious attitude, it would fit to his character that he doesn't want to be brought back. Like, that's something he wants to kind of go out on his own terms. Like, he already doesn't have any say over how and when he dies. They've literally picked that for him, and he's like, well, I don't want to come back as some clone or my consciousness consciousness be resurrected when I don't want that to happen. So it did definitely make sense. And the dad does tell Kasha, but he it sounds like, and it appears to Kasha when she overhears him talking with her mom, that he has not told the mom, which is kind of sketchy and suspicious why he hadn't told his wife. Yeah. And that also makes Kasha start to think that the, her parents might not be perfectly matched, which means that she and Xander might not be perfectly matched. So maybe she should be with Kai. It's not great logic because if you sit back and think about it, there's no way any two people could be perfectly matched. But I guess if you're raised in a society that thinks that, maybe you really do think that. Like, I mean, to me, my experience in relationships, someone might be perfect for you, but it's always a give and take. Everyone is going to have things that aren't perfect for you. And, but again, if you grew up in a society where you were literally told that the person will be perfect for you, maybe you would think that. Also, I feel like because, I feel like the dad also might not have told the mom, like, in a way to protect her, and in the sense of the mom from the beginning was, like, defending his mistake, and, like, it was a simple mistake. And the mom could have, I think, one, either the mom, like, just, you know, believed it and was just supportive of her husband no matter what, and so therefore he, like, didn't really want to tell her because she didn't even ask him, or the mom, like, kind of already suspects and, like, doesn't even need to be told because she knows that probably he did it on purpose, but she's going to keep up the front that it was an accident. So I do think... freaking phone calls could be monitored. Yeah, so I feel like this idea of him not saying it to her doesn't necessarily mean that the wife or the mom, I guess, she doesn't know or just, like... I don't know. To me, it doesn't mean, like, they're not the perfect match. I think that's kind of dangerous information, and I feel like the only reason he even admitted it to Cash is because she specifically asked him like she outright asked him how could you do that and he was like and if he hadn't told his wife he could have been like he really wanted to get it off his chest so in that moment he slipped and just told her you know yes i agree so i don't think like to me at least that didn't really actually hold that much weight like i understand in the moment why she was like oh my wonder like you know if they're not a perfect match because he didn't tell her but to me getting that off of one like eavesdropping on one conversation like that wasn't enough, I feel like, to read that far into it. Sure, I agree. I completely agree. I'm just saying what Kasha thought. Yes, so back to Kasha, now, you know, focused on Kai with this logic. She, like, basically becomes obsessed with him. Like, 
extremely obsessed. Like, she literally can't stop thinking about him. Like, she's just randomly popping her mind, like, all throughout the day. She's talking to other people. She's thinking about him. And she tries to, like, catch the train and, like, hopes he's going to be there. And whenever she is around him, she's always, like, looking at him closely, like, to see, to try and figure out what he's thinking. Like, it's just, she's clearly, like, has a crush and is, like, totally obsessed. And... Again, it was just a lot when you're like, but Xander, he's perfect for you. (laughs) And he's going to cause no issues for you. Yeah. Well, she's like a kid. You know, she wants what she can't have. It's a natural human response. And, I mean, Xander sounds a little boring, but, like, not boring in a bad way. He seems totally smitten with her and super Prince Charming. But I, I... Also, like, she's embarking on this journey that's, like, slowly rebellious against her society. And, like, Xander, like, the perfect prince that everyone loves, he's not a great ally if you're going to break the society. Whereas Kai, who's an aberration, he's on the edge of society, he's mysterious, he's got dark secret eyes that change color based on the clothes he's wearing, that's the ally you want. Like... Also, it definitely feels to me like Kai is flirting back with her, right? Like, I don't know so much as fl- flirting is the right word, but I do think he's he likes Kasha, like whether as a friend or more. And does he like her? Or does he like like her more so in the sense of I feel like he feels like he could possibly connect with her in a way that he hasn't been able to connect with anyone else because, like we said, he is an outsider and. Although he's, like, in the friend group, like, I feel like people still see him as other, whereas Kasha doesn't or is starting to show that she doesn't see him that way. And... Because she's staring at him all the time. And so I'm sure for him, he's like, well, it would be nice to have, like, a real friend, like, somebody I can connect to so we could, like, build up into, like, a flirtation, I guess. But I'm thinking from his perspective, like, he can't have a match. Like, I don't know if he's necessarily ready to, like... I don't know, throw away his life, because, like, I'm sure, like, he'd probably be killed or something if he did something, you know, in this extreme society. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's also so innocuous so far. But I understand what you're saying by flirting back in the sense of, it's definitely, like, he's interested in, like, getting Yeah, to it's know not like more. he's, like, or like spend time with Alexander. her. You must not just speak to me. Like, he's... And... And I will say, though, like, they're, like, they have a lot of, like, passing glances and, like, whispered conversations going on. And it is definitely setting up a lot of sexual tension, like, whether it's, like, intentional or not. So with that, I can also, like, understand why Kasha can't stop thinking about him because, like, every little thing he does, I would also be like, what did that mean? Like, did he really mean what he said? Like, he touched my hand. Like, was that, like, what does that mean? And also at this point now, he shows her that, like, he's able to write cursive, which in the society, they don't know how to physically write words. They only know how to type, like, on a computer. And since I guess he's from the outer provinces, he knows how to write. And he's going to teach that to her now, which is, like, definitely just setting up, you know, that classic, like, first date scene where, like, a man shows the woman, like, how to do something. So then he has to touch her and... He, like, places his hand on hers as she's, like, trying to write something in the dirt. So it's just another excuse for them to spend even more time together or, like, just get closer. Yeah. And writing is rebellion, too, because they're not supposed to be able to write. 
So they're going to build passion through secrecy and rebellion. Also, he gives her a compass, which is his artifact. And what does a compass do? It shows you direction. And what is she looking for right now? She's looking for direction. How's that for symbolism? Yep, that is some pretty clear symbolism there. Which I did think the compass was like totally random. And I, I guess it was because we didn't get a full explanation on it yet. But we will. We will I get one. I was just like, with it, right? why did he give her a compass? Like, also, the whole reason that he gives her the compass, which I, <laughs> I was mad about this. Because like we said, Kasha has her compact, which was given to her by her grandfather. It was it was like her great grandmother's or something. And in the society, like you if you have like a family kind of heirloom, it's called they call it an artifact. You get to have one of those. And like not everybody gets one because it has to like come from your family. So if family doesn't have one, you won't get one. And if your family's not generationally wealthy, you're still stuck. So you get one artifact, and she lends her artifact to her friend named M, who we're going to talk about in a second, who, like, is the one who has an anxiety attack, which I was like, oh, my God, terrible idea. And first of all, I was like, why would you lend out your one single item that you have that's, like, actually yours that, like, no one can take from you? Why would you give that to somebody to borrow? Like, it's just screaming that something bad is going to happen. And so when Cash is like the next day after she lets her have it for the matching ceremony, Cash is like, oh, where's my compact? And Em's like, oh, did Kai not give it to you today? And hiking, because we didn't mention, but they get like a summer leisure activity. And Kai and Kasha both signed up for hiking, which is a reason why they get to kind of be together a lot alone because they're in that together. And the day that it happened. It was raining, so the hiking was canceled. So she doesn't have her compact. So of course, Cash is like freaking out a little on the inside. And then when she sees Kyle like the next day at hiking, he hands her the compass. And I understood she was like curious, but I'm like, where's where's her compact? Like, where's my artifact? This is your one item. Like, I want it back. Yeah. Well, let's talk about M and pills. So you mentioned M has the anxiety attack. So Yes. If correct me if I'm wrong, but the order is basically like she tells Kasha she already took her pill earlier in the week and she's not gonna have one for the matching ceremony, right? Yeah, so they're sitting at like one of the things they get to do, like for their leisure activity, they can go Oh, they're sitting like listening to music, like the hundred songs they're playing and yeah, M is M had mentioned to Kasha before that she'd already taken her green pill for the week from like a school assignment or something, and her matching ceremony is like the next day, in the next day or so. And as they're sitting there, she begins to have like a full on like anxiety panic attack. And she's sitting with Kasha, Xander, and Kai is there, and they like surround her and like there's officials, I guess, just roaming around, so they don't want the officials to notice. And they're like, it's okay, like, just take your green pill and you'll be fine. And then Cash is like, she already took her green pill, so she doesn't have one. And there's, like, this moment of hesitation because they don't know what to do. And then Kai, like, mouths to Xander. He's like, yours, like, your pills. And so then Xander immediately, like, pulls out his thing, gives um his green pill and she takes it and like she immediately feels better which one so the first thing I was thinking of this was okay so 
am, I mean, the fact that she was having like a full on anxiety attack, I feel like was concerning for sure, because for people who have anxiety and stuff, like if you're having that severe of an attack over like in the sense of she was having anxiety of something that wasn't even happening yet, like she probably does need a regular dosage of medication, like because it's affecting her like way of living. So I wonder for, because how they were trying to prevent her from, like, being seen by an official, like, if she would have been caught and they would have said, you know, where's your green pill? She like, already took one. Like, what happens to her at that point? Like, are people allowed to get a larger dosage? Probably not. Like, would she have been, like, hospitalized and locked up because her anxiety is too extreme for, like, what is deemed acceptable? Would she have been euthanized because she's not acceptable to be a part of the community? Like, so many questions with that because... It was just clear that the instinct was to hide her. Like, they did not want her to get caught in that position. So it definitely, it just doesn't seem to me like it's really a safe place for if you have, like, some sort of, like, mental illness or anything. Like, so that was my first thought. Second thought was also with Kai, because he didn't offer to give his pill Kasha noted that, like, she was worried that, like, did he just out himself as an aberration? Because as we mentioned before, they're not allowed to have any pills. But she said, I think there was too much going on, like, for anyone to notice. But, like, that is something that Xander might have caught and, like, didn't say anything, obviously. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because the book covers are the pills. Yeah. But we also know that Grandpa basically dared Kasha to never take the pills. He's like... I think you're strong enough not to. And she really looked up to her grandfather, obviously. So she has never taken any of the pills. And I feel like that's going to be important at some point that she's never taken them. Also, she does have a dream that the red tablet is a death pill. And it literally kills M in her dream. And she's like, everyone always jokes about the red pill being a death tablet. And everyone jokes. And oh my God, that's so funny. And I'm like, and? I feel like if... (laughs) Well, and the society, like, the government has, like, specifically, like, dismissed, like, these allegations saying, like, of course it's not a death pill. But I think, like, when I'm thinking, too, of, like, suicide pills and stuff, that could definitely be what it is. But the fact that they don't know what it is is, like, definitely dangerous. It could also be worse than a death pill. Like, I don't know what it could be, but, like... What if it's, like, how, like in Divergent, like, they became obedient, I feel like that would be what it was. Yeah, or... I have no idea, but, like, I mean, it's probably a death pill, but, like, whatever. It's... It's something dark. All I will say for the pills, I'll say that is the most interesting part of the story so far, is to figure out what they do. I agree. So, you know, it's a good thing she didn't reveal it right away, because that alone is what will get me to read through the whole series if they don't reveal it to the very end, because I would want to know what that is. I agree. So what's your prediction so far, Kai or Xander? My bet is Kai. I think she's going to end up with Kai right now. Definitely Kai. It's clearly that she's going to be facing towards rebellion, which means that she's going to be leaning towards Kai. I mean, I feel like if this is going to be set up like The Giver and or The Hunger Games, it's going to be the idea of, like I said, I don't think there'll necessarily be violence, but like it's going to be a rebellion against this government and this structured society, like... And the only way she can do that is, like, by going with Kai, who's basically... He's the embodiment of rebellion. He's not benefiting from the society at all. He's being punished for things that he didn't even do. 
So he would definitely have the reasons to, like, dislike the society, whereas Xander, just like Kasha, like, they've really only benefited. Like, he's matched up with his literal best friend that he's known his whole life. Like, his life could not get better at this point. Yeah. Well, you hear it, heard it here first, guys. Our bet so far after half her book is that she's going to end up with Kai. Even though I will also say I wonder if the mistake with Kai's face popping up on her match card, I'm also curious to hear, like, or find out, to find out if that was intentional or not. Like, if somebody did that on purpose, which I feel like it had to be because it makes it seem like there's not really mistakes. And, like, there are still, like, people who do these things. So, and also the idea of whether it was intentional or not, like, I feel like it is setting up that, like, Kai probably was her perfect match, but because he's not eligible as an aberration to be matched, her next best match would be Xander. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think that's totally valid. And we'll see. And we will, I think, because this book, it truly is all about the romance. I think at the end of every episode, we should check in and say, are we still feeling she should be with this person, or that she's going to be with this person. Team Kai, Team Xander, which one is it? Well, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have a preference. I just think she's going to end up with Kai. I think I'm Team Kai. He is more interesting. Xander is kind of boring. I mean, I feel like, also it's just, for the, how the plot's going to go, like, I feel like there's just no world in which she's going to stay with Xander. Like, she might play around with it, but, like, as a permanent choice? Well, we'll see. We will see. Yeah, so I guess that's it for this episode. So next week we will be reading the second half of Match. So you can just read all the way to the end if you're going to read along with us and finish the book for next week. And if you have predictions, theories, questions, your Team Kai, Team Xander, stay in touch with us. You just go to the Nerd Party website. Go to nerdparty.com contact. You select throwback paperback and that'll send us an email. And we do check those emails because this is literally a listener suggestion. So just letting you know. And get in touch with the network at large on Twitter at Join Nerd Party or Instagram at The Nerd Party or Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. And again, that one, we will sometimes see that message. But because that's all of The Nerd Party hosts, it's a little trickier. So if you do have something specific for our show, I recommend you go through The Nerd Party emailing function. And you can, or reach out to us directly. I'm at Seashells on Instagram. That's C-S-C-H-E-L-S. And I'm at Asia Bonia on TikTok and Asia.Bonia on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. But as always, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe button and have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.